Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Patty Gay English, who was induced for gestational hypertension. Amid dismissal from her care provider that she was having symptoms even before it became a larger issue for her pregnancy and birth. We are grateful to hear her truth today. Hello, Patagay. Welcome to the show. Hi. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Um, I am originally from Jamaica. I came to the U.S. when I was two years old. I grew up in New York. Um, I am actually a family medicine physician in the Detroit area, or should I say I live in the Detroit area. I work out out further than that. Um, I, uh, I think with this pregnancy, with pregnancy number four for me, I had three miscarriages back to back. Um, many people probably don't know that about me because I'm very, just kind of, I'm a private person. Uh, so it's kind of surprising that I'm sharing my story, but um, the great um, epidemic of, you know, black women who have not been successful when it comes to um, getting adequate care in, in the U.S. is a problem. So um, and a lot of women have had the issues that I've had. And so if it happens to me, I'm sure it's it's rampant all across the country. 2020 was it's almost like, in a weird way, the optimum time to get pregnant. Again, I'm a private person. So, you know, I wasn't around family or friends, which is fine, because I was able to just kind of, me and my husband, able to kind of move through appointments. And each step was a little bit um, like on pins and needles. The unfortunate thing was after, you know, three losses, not being able to bring my husband to my OB appointments, and to see, you know, my ultrasounds. And it was every ultrasound, I almost had to schedule a half day off because I didn't know what I was going to be, you know, seeing during that visit. Was I going to have a typical pregnancy and continue on to the next, you know, next session? Or was this going to be the one where they tell me, you know, I'm sorry, things don't look, you know, according to plan in terms of what we think. Um, so I think things were going normally as planned. Um, I had, I found, I happened to find a OB um, physician. I just knew that she was African-American and I knew that she was older and she worked in within the network that covered my insurance. And I said, okay, great. I found the provider who's going to take care of me. Unfortunately, there were several issues I had with her. Um, one being, I, by the time I came to her for my first appointment, I already had confirmed that I was pregnant, everything was normal. And up to that point, um, I, my husband and I talked, I mean, we didn't want to pursue genetic testing. You know, I didn't particularly feel a need for it. If, you know, we weren't gonna terminate early, let's just say that. And I felt that she pushed me to have genetic testing. I already had an ultrasound and she said to me, oh, we're gonna do another ultrasound, you know, so we can see the baby. I'm like, hey, I wanna see the baby too, this is great. I get to the ultrasound appointment and only to find that this particular ultrasound is supposed to be correlated with a genetic test. You only have that ultrasound if you're testing for Down syndrome. They're going to look at the nuchal cord translucency. They're going to look for other things that can kind of hint off that there's a genetic issue. 
I almost felt deceived because that's not what I, <laughs> yes, I want to see my baby, but no, I don't want to do genetic testing. And so the ultrasound tech asked me, like, you know, you could say no if you don't want the genetic testing. I figured, why not? I'm there. Let's go ahead and get it done. Unfortunately, I'm 35 at that point. So genetic tests comes back abnormal. And at this point, I'm freaking out already. Oh, my God. You know, so she comes. I went to the doctor and she comes with a thick packet of all the results of my blood work. You know, I'm anemic. I have other things going on. Oh, and by the way, your genetic screening was abnormal. And she said, I'm going to send you to MFM, maternal fetal medicine, and you're going to, you know, it's okay. I've had a lot of people with this test comes back abnormal. They'll just do a, um, I forgot what it's called, um, where they do additional testing that can be invasive, that could possibly cause you to miscarry. Um, it, it, it's like CVS sampling, and then there's, it's not amniocentesis. There you go, amniocentesis. And I, you know, so I called MFM and I said, you know, this is my history. I've had three losses. I'm okay with going towards a, waiting for 20 weeks at that point and doing an anatomy scan. I don't want to do an amniocentesis. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and they were fine with that plan. So that was like strike number one for her. I don't want this genetic testing. Why did you send me to this, to get this ultrasound? And technically you're supposed to, as a provider, you're supposed to have this conversation with a patient prior to like almost this is called uh, counseling where you ask them, are you going to terminate? No, then let's not do genetic testing because otherwise it's going to create unnecessary stress. Uh, the third issue that the second issue I had with her was I didn't want to know the gender of my child. When I didn't know, when I didn't get the, um, the additional uh, testing done, the next step was, Hey, there's this test you can do where we can screen your blood for any genetic abnormalities you know, a different genetic testing, which would allow you to also know the gender of your child. Okay, I'll get that done. But I don't want to know the gender of my child. She calls me with the results. She tells me the gender of my child. And I, I was, I was kind of at work and I couldn't really hear. And I almost, I was so shocked with what she told me that I almost was like, maybe she didn't say what she said. No, she didn't say what she said. <laughs> so that was number two. Number three, around 32 weeks pregnant. Oh, I'm sorry. I have uterine fibroids. So my uterus is enlarged and I was measuring six weeks pregnant but when I wasn't pregnant. So she was always measuring my fundal height just to kind of see if the baby was on track with its, its measurement. And then we, I was always kind of measuring larger than I should, which is expected. I have fibroids. Then there was a point at which the, the, the two met where I was maybe, let's say, 24 weeks and I was measuring 24 weeks because I was always measuring above. And technically, there should have been a different way to measure the growth of my child other than my fundal height, other than you know the size of my uterus, because my uterus is enlarged. So at 32 weeks, I my everything is fine, fine. And I noticed that my I have a headache. You know, as a physician, I had a whole bin, a whole bunch of patients on my panel who were suddenly coming in with unexplained hypertension. People who've had normal blood pressures are suddenly popping up with high blood pressure. And I'm sitting at work. I'm snacking on goldfish because <laughs> I love crackers. And my head is pounding. And I'm like, this is odd. Let me check my blood pressure. I check my blood pressure. It's 150 over whatever. I said, interesting. My blood pressure has been low typically. And sometimes even to the point where I get lightheaded when I stand from, you know, change positions from sitting to standing in the past. I had my medical assistant check my blood pressure, and it's also in the 150s. 
So I called my my OB at that point. It's going around five o'clock and she says, you know, go to labor and delivery. Um, you know, they'll do a workup for you. I go to labor and delivery and, you know, I tell them I'm a physician. Um, and my blood pressure at that point is 160s. 161 systolic is the first blood pressure they had for me. Technically, that's kind of in the preeclamptic range. And thankfully, my blood pressure continues to trend downward. Um, my lab work came back normal in terms of like the things they're looking for. They're looking for, you know, protein in my urine, you know, abnormal liver enzymes, et cetera. So they say to me, you're, you know, we're going to go ahead and diagnose you with gestational hypertension um, because I had several readings above, you know, in within the 150, 160 range. Um, they said, you know, since you're a physician, we're going to let you go. But, you know, if it was anyone else, we would keep you overnight. And at first I was like, oh, this is great. I get to go home. But unfortunately, when I speak to, I have a friend who is a, a certified OB physician. She said, you know, they really should have kept you overnight because who's to say that your your blood pressure would not have elevated going home while you're home, et cetera, moving forward. Because they can do additional testing for you in the hospital. So my OB appointment, let's say that was a Wednesday. My OB appointment is Friday. So I see my OB. At that point, I'm almost doing additional you know, research in terms of what should be happening. Should have had an expected um, birth weight for my child in terms of how big is this child? When your child is, when you, are, when you have gestational hypertension, the main thing is how is this restricting growth for the, for the child? Do they need to induce you early? Is this going to be a concern? I saw my provider on, the, on a Friday. And my blood pressure was in the 130s. And, you know, basically, I'm, I'm waiting to hear what she's going to say to me at this point. As I need to know, can I continue on with her to manage my health care issues? And is she going to do the adequate? She's going to be treating me properly. And she's like, well, your blood pressure is normal today. So we're just going to continue on. And I'll see you in two weeks. And I'm like, okay. Because technically, according to ACOC, which is the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecology, you should be, I should be going for um, all these different tests that are, are necessary. You should be doing like a 24 hour urine for me. You should be doing, you know, repeat labs. I should be, um, again, expected fetal weight um, I, in terms of how big my child is measuring at that point, um, how all these other things. And she's like, nope, see you in two weeks. And I look at her and she's like, well, we could since you're 32 weeks. We could give you steroids, a.k.a. give me steroids, meaning you're going to anticipate my child coming in two days. That's the only way you would give my child steroids, give me steroids. And I'm looking at her odd because if you think I should need steroids because my child is going to be coming soon, a.k.a. early delivery, that means you should be seeing me sooner than two weeks. And that's when I knew I needed to change providers because I was like, I something is going on here. I don't feel safe with, with her under my care. Because if I'm, you know, if I'm giving you suggestions about how you should adequately care for me, when is it going to end? Am I then going to be in the delivery room telling you what I should be getting? Hey, my blood pressure is in the stroke range. Maybe I should be getting magnesium. <laughs> I was like, nope, this is my worst nightmare. Thankfully, I have OBs in the area that where I work, where I practice medicine. And it just so happens that that Monday I call their office and I say, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I'm 32 weeks pregnant. I know this is probably late, but I need a, I need OB care. 
and they had no problem seeing me. I was so thankful. I was able to initiate care with um, one of the providers who is on the way to retire. But thing that people know about him is that he goes by the book. He will tell you this is what ACOG guidelines suggest. And that's exactly what I was looking for. I was looking for someone who was going to be monitoring me closely. Um, having I had all these scans scheduled. They gave me an, a whole list of things I needed to do and have done. And I would probably was in there two or three times a week. My blood pressure was always checked. I was like, I had 24 hour urine, you know, and they were like, I think you're on the way. It wouldn't surprise me if you become preeclampic. Your blood pressure is fluctuating. Sometimes it's in the 130s, sometimes it's in the 150s, but we're going to monitor you closely. We're going to go ahead and induce you around 37 weeks. Your baby is actually, my baby was actually measuring, um, it had intrauterine growth restriction. It was actually measuring on the small side. Um, which would have been picked up if she wasn't dependent on my um, the size of my uterus because of my fibroids. Like, she missed that. She missed it because she, you know, like there were times where I had to remind her, hey, by the way, I have fibroids. So I don't know. Anyway, um, it was kind of, it was very stressful because obviously, um, you know, you're in the pregnant state, you have COVID, then I have work that is also a source of stress. Um, and then it was just the transfer of care. Felt like I almost had to explain or talk to my family and explain to them why I was transferring care. Like, I know it's risky to transfer, you know, at such a late stage of the game, but I felt like I had to. I felt like it was necessary for the health of myself and my child to go to another provider. Um, and I think the downside for me was trying to feel like I needed other people's confirmation or need other people to support me in that. And I should have, you know, I should have just said, this is what it is. I'm le I'm going somewhere else, whether or not I have the support that's fine, but I felt like it was a necessary move. Um, thankfully, um, with the, the testing that I had done, you know, things were, my liver enzymes were slightly elevated, but they weren't overly concerned. They were just going to go ahead and induce me. And I was induced um, on the 12th of December. It's funny because during this time, I'm, I'm also doing like hypnobirthing and, you know, I'm, I'm a like a, a marathon runner. I was exercising. I was even um, I was walking as much as I could. I was running slightly. And they told me with gestational hypertension, maybe you should slow down. Maybe don't do anything that's going to raise your heart rate. So even then, I had to kind of slow down on my exercising. Um, I almost felt a little odd because I'm like, man, you know, I I eat. Generally, I eat healthy. I'm working out. I'm doing all these workouts. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm even lifting weight. Like, I don't understand, like, why my blood pressure is an issue. Um, so anyway, I go into birth and I'm like, all right, I got this. You know, like, I have an idea of what pain is. I think I'm okay with pain. You know, I was trying to go the most natural route as, po you know, I possibly could. But when Pitocin hit you, I wasn't even dilated. I wasn't even maybe a, a centimeter dilated I was when I was at, when, you know, induction started. They put the Pitocin on. I promise you, I vomited about five times before I was like, girl, please. <laughs> I wasn't going anywhere fast in terms of dilation. And I just, I could not deal. Um, so obviously, you know, when you have the epidural, you can't get out of bed. Um, so I was prior to that, I was bouncing on the ball. I was like lunging in my room. I was doing what I could to open up my pelvis. Yeah. And I was laying in bed, you know, 
thankfully I had a nurse who, or several nurses who used the peanut, um, the peanut ball to kind of help open up my hips. And they had me rotating from side to side. Um, so it took me 40 hours to get to full dilation. And I almost felt like they were coming in. It was like one nurse came and she was like, you know, this is what they call the princess shift. I'm kind of in between day shift and night shift. And, you know, basically I'm going to be your nurse. And she pretty much changed the tone of the room. She, I had earrings on. I had my necklace. And she's like, we're going to prepare you just in case there's an emergency, a.k.a. when you need a you know, C-section. She's like, we're going to take your earrings out. We're going to tell you to take your necklace off. Um, and my sisters, my, I have a family of nurses. My sisters are nurses. And they laughed when I told them that side of the story because they, were, you know, they said she probably did that because they probably thought you were going to need a C-section. As they had ruptured my water, um, I was kind of going towards the time where my water was about to be, you know, broken for the 20, in the 24 hour period. After that, they kind of wanted you to progress a little bit further and be at the point of delivery. Um, but thankfully, I didn't need a C-section, thank God. I, I just felt like several things were out of sight of my control. My temperature that they were recording was continuing to trend upward. It didn't officially get to the 100.4 range where they say that you have a fever. They got to like 100.0. And I was kind of flipping out about that. Like, oh, my God, am I going to need antibiotics? Is my baby going to need antibiotics? Um, my blood pressure was kind of trending upward. I was afraid that I was going to get into the preeclampic range. Um, like his heart rate had dropped. And it, these things I just these factors I could not control were starting to, you know, climb. And, um, you know, so it was it was kind of stressful. Um, after 40 hours, thank God, you know, the OB who was on call for the group that I uh, joined uh, delivered me. They, to be honest, I, I could feel the pain uh, a little bit. The epidural was starting to wear off when I was fully dilated. And no, I couldn't get a, like an extra level of, you know, um, the epidural that I wanted. I think it was called. I think they um, they kind of give you extra, like, more of the medication to numb you. But the closer you are to full dilation, they're like, you know, it's actually going to help you, you know, to push. Um, so, you know, I had like a second degree tear. I just pushing was not a problem. They wanted me to push earlier when I was like the baby was like in the negative two station, like a little bit higher up. And I told him, no, I'm going to wait till his head drops down a little bit more. Um, so I had to wait an extra hour. And then I pushed and we pushed, I don't know, like for five minutes. It's just Pushing was just not the problem, which is great because I've been, you know, in this labor for 40 hours. Um, so anyway, we move to a different room. Everything is is fine. I'm trying to get used to this breastfeeding thing. They send us home after two days. The baby was born five pounds, six ounces, which, you know, thankfully they were initially telling me he was four pounds. I don't know, four twelve. I'm not really sure. But five pounds, six. I was like, OK, that's not so bad, even though he's still kind of on the low end of his weight. Um, we could always work on that on the outside, outside the womb, um, in terms of getting his feeding together. So yeah, it just felt a little setback because because he's small, um, we had to check his blood sugar. His blood sugar was low at one point. Um, his willy wooly was elevated. Um, and I know with COVID, they were like, you know, vaginal deliveries will stay in the hospital for one day. But because he was so small, um, I was initially disappointed because we weren't able to leave that 24 hour period, if he needed, you know, we needed a car seat challenge, you know, he had to have a circumcision, all these things kind of delayed his feeding. 
which meant that his blood sugar was low. So they wouldn't let us go home until we can get that together. So they told us, you know, you're going to need to supplement because your milk isn't coming in and he's on a small and small side and he needs to eat his blood sugar. At first, I didn't, you know, I was like, you know, breastfeeding will come. You know, I thought I wasn't going to be so attached to it. Oh, I have formula at home. I have several packs of formula. I It, it just made me cry because I was like, oh, my God, I can't get it together. My milk is not coming in. He's always going to be form- on a formula. Um, so we went home two days later and he was delivered on a Monday. And, you know, fast forward to a Saturday. I'm breastfeeding my son. And, you know, I'm just relaxed. I'm, you know. I'm calm and my head is pounding and my husband comes over and he checks me. He's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm okay. You know, I just, my head is just, I have a headache. And he's like, you want me to check your blood pressure? He went to get a blood pressure cuff. I just continued to sit there with my son. My blood pressure was in the one eighties. And I was like, okay. He's like, okay, let's not freak out. Go upstairs, take a shower. And, you know, um, you know, I'll, you know I'll, we'll see what's going, you know, we'll recheck your blood pressure. At that point, I already knew I'm a doctor. Even if I call the OB on call, there's nothing they could do for me over the phone or that they should be doing for me over the phone. I literally was packing my stuff up. I had, you know, my hospital bag was already still had stuff in it. I took a shower, but I was packing my stuff because I already knew I'm going to go to the hospital. Blood pressure in the 180s. I've never had a blood pressure that high. So I'm literally like packing my shit. I was like, let me just grab the stuff. And my husband, I take my, I come downstairs, I relax. I'm sitting there for a while. I check it again. It's it's higher. It's like in the 190s. Okay. Like I'm baby bag is already packed. My stuff is already packed. I'm literally sitting in the car with my baby in the car seat. Like, cause my head at this point is like, like pounding. And I was like, oh my God, this, in addition to having a high blood pressure, I'm afraid I'm going to have a stroke. <laughs> My husband, he was like, I was like packing stuff up, sitting in the car, I'm like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. The hospital where I delivered, where the OB would be taking care of me was an hour away. I knew I could not go an hour away. The closest hospital was around the corner. Unfortunately, my old OB that initially took care of me, her group is at that hospital. So I said, okay, I'm going to make my statement clear. When I, you know, my husband couldn't come with me because of COVID. So he said, you know, let's keep your belongings in the car in hopes that I can, it will allow me to bring your, your book bag, you know, back into the ER. So I went to the ER without my belongings. It's in the car with my husband. And I tell them, hey, I need to go to labor and delivery. It's past midnight. They're like, ma'am, you need to go to the ER. I said, yes, but I just delivered. I have high blood pressure. I need to go to the labor and delivery. So they call and they're like, no, they want you to come to the ER. I get to the ER, my blood pressure is in the 180s. Um, and I tell them, hey, I'm a physician. I also tell them I changed my care. I'm no longer seeing the doctor. because I'm sure they have a name attached to my name, like in terms of OB. Like if they can look up my chart in the ER, oh, she was seen by XYZ doctor. Basically, I told them, I don't want to see her. Is there another physician that I could see? Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, we'll have you see the physician who's on call. We'll start you on magnesium in the ER. So they start me on magnesium. Unbeknownst to, so they, it took them for a while to put me on the monitor for the blood pressure. So my blood pressure was going unmonitored for several minutes or more than minutes, maybe within the hour. 
it took them like 30, 45 minutes to, for them to actually put me back on the on the blood pressure machine. They do they give me an EKG. Um, I think they start yeah they start the magnesium. It took them several two hours to get me to the labor and delivery unit. And when I get upstairs, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're waiting for you. Okay. Um, I'm just sitting in the ER, just not, you know, not, I, I didn't, I was so unaware of what should be happening. And it wasn't until I text my friend who's the OB and she's like, what's your blood pressure? I was like, oh, well, it was in the 180s when I got to the ER. And then it started to trend downward. She was like, well, they should have put you on medication for your elevated blood pressure. Did you get labetalol? Did you get any? No, I didn't get any medication besides magnesium. She's like, I'm concerned for your care. I was like, okay, I could, you know, like, so this is this is the kicker. Who comes in to take care of me and introduce themselves as I'm your doctor? The first OB that I left. She literally is by the door and she's like, hi, how are you? And at this point, I'm like, I'm being, this is a gag. Someone is playing a trick on me. I did what I could to avoid being in this very position. I did not, I was afraid of having preeclampsia and having this woman take care of me. Because at that point, she wasn't following guidelines in terms of how women with elevated blood pressure should be treated. But here I am in my most vulnerable situation, in most vulnerable state, depending on her to take care of me. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what do I do? There's nothing I can do. And my friend is texting me and she's like, you should call a patient. Um, you should make a patient complaint. You should demand to be seen by another physician. I'm like, what you don't understand is there could be multiple OBs who are in the hospital. Possible. It's a Saturday morning. It's probably like two o'clock in the morning. There's no OB that's randomly seeing patients that are not on their patient panel that they haven't had that relationship with. She is over the resident um, program. So this physician is seeing patients who are coming. This physician is seeing patients who are just coming out of from the community. This is the only provider here who's able to see. Me. So I, I don't really have a choice in terms of who's, which doctor is going to take care of me. But I did talk to the resident. I talked to the senior resident and I expressed my concern. And I said to them, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be I'm not going to be following up with the resident clinic or this provider because I have other OBs who are taking care of me. I transferred my care from your head physician um, because I had concerns about. Basically, I was throwing her under the bus and every moment I could. I wanted people to understand. I don't want her to take care of me, <laughs> but I understand she's the only one who's, who's on call for this 12 hour shift. And so I was in the hospital for four days and she probably took care of me for two of those four days, just kind of during her shift. Um, it was so, it was awkward because she was like, oh, how was the baby? He's fine. Like my disposition at that point was just like, I'm dismissive because I, it'd be different if it was like blood pressure. I'm sorry, if it was like blood sugar or some other issue. But if it's relying upon me not being stressed, like high, high blood pressure, I'm trying to remain calm. I'm trying to be as zen as possible. And here is this woman here who is just, I feel like it's going to take me over the edge. And I was like, I'm not trying to go there. It took them a while to get my blood pressure down. So on magnesium, you, you're on that for like 24 hours. You can't get out of bed. Um, it wasn't horrible for me. I, you have this like internal lava sensation. Like it's like an internal fire that you feel when you have, when you're on the magnesium.
and they're like, you know, we're going to put you on for 24 hours. We're going to see um, how your blood pressure is after the 24 hour period. I was on it for 24 hours and the next day it was like my blood pressure was rocking and rolling. Like it went from, it was like normal in like the 130s. They started me on pills, nifedipine to kind of help manage my blood pressure. Unfortunately, that takes 24 hours to, to work. Like it doesn't bring down your blood pressure very quickly. So my blood pressure all day was fine. And I was like, okay, great. I should probably be able to go home. Then around nine o'clock, it goes up to like the 200 range. And I had to call my nurse. Like, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I was like, you know, I think, I think we should check my blood pressure now. And she checks my blood pressure and she's like, oh, it's, it was trending upward. Let's say it's in the 180s or 160s. And then it continued to go up to 180s. Then it went up to the 200s. Um, and then they just, they kept giving me IV, IV medication to bring down my blood pressure as fast as possible. And at, at this point, you know, it's just like nothing I could do um, but pray, you know. And I think I had to reflect. I think at the end of the day, you know, I was in there for four days. I was able to be discharged, uh, I think, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. I got home. I was able to be discharged Christmas Day. Um, and I left the experience like I thought <laughs> delivery, labor and delivery was out of my control. This whole preeclamptic thing, I just felt like there were so many factors that I just felt like I just had to rock with it. I just had to go with it because my body is doing things that I can't control. The care that I'm receiving to some degree, I just it didn't feel like I had a lot of say in. Um, it was just like a bizarre situation. It was a bizarre situation. Um, thankfully, it took me a long time to kind of get back to my normal. Um, I was on medication for about six months. <laughs> um, but I think I think the experience made me a little bit more sympathetic to people uh, in terms of like I know I now interact with my patients on a different level. Um I think what I learned from the whole experience is I was I think I was in the beginning. I was doing my best to be the ideal patient. Oh, I don't want to call, ask too many questions. I don't want to kind of um, I don't want to rock the boat when it comes to like treatment plan. But I think the best thing you could do is to ask questions early, you know, um, of your providers. You know, what is your typical management for you know, blood pressure. I, if you understand that you're African-American, you're age over 35, you have increased risk for preeclampsia, you notice your blood pressure is higher, ask a few more questions. What, you know, what should I be getting additional screening? What screenings do you recommend? Or just do your own research in terms of what should be done. And if you realize there's a discrepancy in terms of what's recommended versus the care that you're actually receiving, and maybe don't be afraid to seek care somewhere else. That's pretty much what I would First of all, thank you for sharing your journey with us. Um, and and I, I mean, I think in your reflection, like speaking on advocate for yourself, like just if, if you trust what your instincts are telling you and um, like let your care be led by your voice, right? And I mean, I love that you, one, being a physician, uh, like really allowed you to have 
the forethought to like ask many questions, but also being able to tap into your like community of other care providers to be like, what should like, this is out of my realm. What should I be receiving right now? Right? Like what, because this, what I'm receiving as far as what's going on, doesn't seem like it's, it's working. Um, But then it does make you think about people who might not be able to tap into something like that and how scary and dangerous that is, right? Um, Because yes, like that is that like, I mean, like you said, like you're in the car, you're like, my blood pressure is out of control. I have a headache that's, I don't, I don't even understand. Like I could have a stroke, right? Um, and the simple, like, I mean, and there were, you know, the other layers of dealing with COVID. So not being able to have a support person with you, you just had your baby, like you're still healing from all of that. And so there are many people, I think, who these symptoms start start to arise and they're not even like focused in enough to be like, okay, I think I need to go back to the hospital. Like, I think something else is wrong or even to have the energy to fight or pressure doctors to do more because you're just like, there's so much that I'm already trying to swim through right now. Um, well, you mentioned that you wanted to be and the then, ideal patient. you know, the it other layer, go ahead. About how no, go ahead. So many people go into the hospitals feeling the same way, wanting to just not even that you don't have questions, but that you feel like you always understand what's going on. And I can imagine the pressure of that, even, you know, being a doctor and feeling like, oh, I know what this means. And I know what that means. And allowing yourself to take that hat off. Like you've been a doctor and you carry that with you um, to all your appointments and anything else. And so going into those spaces and even if your doctor said to you, right, because doctors know and like just like nurses and other medical people are like, they're always the worst patients, right? In the sense of not asking or advocating for themselves um, in a way that, um, could be more helpful because because we feel like we can carry it and we kind of know and have this better understanding. But when you're actually pregnant and your body is going through those different changes, so much of it can be missed, right? Or, you know, um, minimized even for yourself. I think it was that that first week of being home, I almost do not, I never want to feel that way again. I was not getting enough sleep. There were, I probably was getting one to two hours of sleep, if that. I was walking around my house like a crazy person. Um, so it's like inadequate sleep. I have another child, you know, another person, entity to take care of. And on top of that, I'm not kind of, I probably checked my blood pressure once prior to, you know, the elevated reading. Um, so just not really taking care of myself in that way too. Um, thankfully, it just so happened. I had a friend, a family friend who's a midwife. He came by that house on Saturday, the same day I went to the hospital. She's like, you know, you have all the risk factors for preeclampsia. Be sure to check your blood pressure. And I was like, hmm, I should. Yes, yes, I will. And so, you know, when my husband is like, you know, you have a headache, let me check your blood pressure. Like, it, I think I am, I'm thankful that I have people in my life who are in the medical field, even though I am, yes, but, you know, my, my mind is somewhere else at that point just reminding me, you know, like, you should probably be taking better care of yourself, you know, which is kind of, because otherwise I would have had an elevated reading. Eh, I have a headache. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm thirsty. And just went, went to sleep. Who knows? Right. And it, it even makes me think about, uh, like, how many people actually have 
blood pressure um, cuffs at home or being or uh, anything to actually like check their blood pressure unless unless it's already a problem that's known. Many of us don't have that in our homes. So the added fact of even having the resources um, to be able to do that on the spot, right? Because um, then it's like, okay, well, I need to get my blood pressure checked. I got to get the baby together. I got to get to somewhere where I can actually do that. So um, it, what it really comes down to, I think what I'm really, like what my brain is actually getting to is like specifically for, for individuals who have hospital births, what that gap of care that happens once they're home. Because technically no one's seeing you specifically with hospital care until six weeks. So there's six weeks where unless something comes up that you're overly concerned about, no one's putting eyes on you. I mean, you'll go to the pediatrician, but like they're focused on the baby. And then you're like, well, while we're here, can you check my my blood pressure too? <laughs> like that's just not something that's coming up. So nobody's putting eyes on people for six weeks. So I just there needs to be a change to that. There needs to be a change. I agree. I agree. I will say that um, when I was when I had gestational hypertension, just that title alone, they were going to see me um, a little bit sooner than six weeks. They were going to have like a blood pressure check um, at the two week mark, um, and they did encourage me to have check my blood pressure at home. Um, so I was thankful for this, you know, this group, this OB group that was, you know, encouraging me to see them a little bit sooner. But the problem is. At such a great gap in care, right? Where people who've had normal blood pressures their entire pregnancy, it's called postpartum preeclampsia for a reason, because it can just suddenly just snap up on you. And so, and to be honest, African-American women over the age of 35, those are, you know, great risk factors that would put you at risk for having this condition. And unless you have a blood pressure cuff at home and checking your blood pressures, you're not, and that's not to say that every woman needs to do that. You know, I don't want to create a level of burden or stress or anxiety, but it, and then, you know, it's just it's a lot, it's a lot. And that's kind of almost why even, you know, having postnatal care, like a postpartum or having another another person to kind of monitor the mom near her postpartum state is really important. Because her priority is to her child and, you know, we get we're going to we're on the bottom of the list and we're just not even thinking about ourselves. <clears throat> I think um, some things my family was, you know, family of nurses, they were like, you know, you should have asked more questions. When she said she was going to follow you in two weeks, have you come back in two weeks, despite this new diagnosis of gestational hypertension, you should have said why. You should have said, you know, all these things, you know, I was like, you know, to be honest, that's a lot of pressure on myself. It's, you're asking your patient to do a lot. Um, but would it, I don't know if staying, if I could have made that situation better by asking a ton of questions. I think she as a provider had in her mind what treatment plan she was going to follow. And I felt like if I was going to interject and say, hey, these are the things you should be doing again, when would it have ended? <laughs> you know, I feel like at every step of the way it was going to, you know, come up because she had her own treatment plan, you know, in her mind. So. But it did teach me, you know, speak up sooner. If there's something that's a problem for you, say something. You're absolutely right, though. That shouldn't be the only burden of the patient to to inquire about why a doctor wants to do something. 
Like that's a part of the explaining it like this because of that and that because of this, like not just telling me this is what we're going to do. What was postpartum like? I mean, you know, you said you were on for like an additional six months, like medication and, and really still trying to like heal from it all. What did postpartum look like and what is it looking like for you now? I think it was like I had a level of anxiety that I had not had prior. Um, the medication they put me on actually can cause nervousness. Um, and I thought it was just me. But then I looked up, I look up the side effects and some people were like, oh, my God, this medication put me on, you know, it gave me anxiety. I had panic attacks. So that didn't help on top of just kind of being a mom and a new mom and being anxious in addition to possible medication side effects and it causing anxiety. There were times where I literally was afraid where I was afraid to check my blood pressure because I didn't know if it, that would mean me going back to the hospital. Um, I literally just wanted to go in a room, a dark room, lay down flat <laughs> and just kind of relax and check my blood pressure in the dark because I was like, I know I need to check my blood pressure, but I'm afraid of what it's going to say, which is illogical because as a medical provider, it's like, well, if your blood pressure is high, don't you want to know? Don't you want to know so you can get treatment? Yeah, but what does that mean for me? You know, does that mean that um, I'm going to be away from my kid? I'm going to be in the hospital for several days. My blood pressure is uncontrollable at this point. Who knows? So anyway, I I had to like promise my husband that I was going to, if I didn't feel right, that I was going to tell him so that we can just kind of address the issue. Um, So it was anxiety of that, anxiety of like, what does this mean for me moving forward? Am I always going to have high blood pressure? and so there was a moment where I I was weight I was lifting weight I don't know maybe three months after I delivered you know I felt good I was walking every other day um, my diet was low sodium and I'm just kind of lightly lifting weight again I'm an athlete so this is not like new for me and my head is pounding and I was like oh that's okay I'll just wait I'll, I'll wait a little bit and it was like two hours after I stopped lifting weight my head was still pounding. And I went to go check my blood pressure. It was like in the 180s. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was starting to pack my bags up again. And my husband is like, relax. Let's check your blood pressure again. So I sat down, got calm. It got down to the 160s. Um, and then he's, you know, like, well, let's take another pill, another pill of your blood pressure medication. Um, I wouldn't tell everybody to do that. But, you know, as a provider, I kind of know how to titrate medication. So, yes, let's take another pill. I took another pill and now it's in the normal range. And I was able to, you know, do a sigh of relief. Like, okay, my blood pressure is normal. I'm not afraid I'm going to have a stroke. Um, And then it was like, I did more research. And apparently if you have uncontrolled blood pressure, maybe lifting weight is not the best thing for you. Because your blood pressure can go up into the 180s when you're like exerting yourself. It's not uncommon after you exercise for your blood pressure to be high. Obviously this is two hours after the fact, but Still, it, it, it freaked me out and it made me like, oh, my God, my body's doing this like weird thing. Um, so postpartum was anxiety filled, um, just kind of ha- having to change up my the way I view my body a little bit. Um, a lot of hormones going on. Your body is kind of piecing itself back together. Um, then it's you know transitioning into going back to work. Um, <laughs> there's that and then in addition to trying to get sleep and eat right you know going in this breastfeeding you know thing so 
a lot of transition, a lot of um, a lot of change. Um, yeah. You spent time in the hospital after you had the baby. What was that like for you too during that time period? Yeah. So I was able to call my sister. Um, she's in New York. We're in the Detroit area. And I said, Hey, I'm in the hospital for my blood pressure. Um, and she was like, you need me to come? I said, yes. <laughs> she was on a plane the next day. Hopefully. Um, so she has a kid of her own. She has a two year old. Um, and again, this is around Christmas time. So I'm thankful that she was able to take time off of work and spend time away from her child to come down. Um, just to make sure that I was doing okay. Even though she wasn't able to come see me. Um, she did, um, you know, assist my husband in terms of taking care of the baby because we have a lot of animals at the house too. So, you know, my husband would have had to take care of the animals, had to take care of the newborn baby. You know, my sister was, was there for that as well. So it was me being home. I mean, me being in the hospital around Christmas time, my birthday had, you know, was the week prior, um, not knowing how my health was going to pan out. Um, it was very stressful, um, but to, it, in an odd way, it was also relaxing because I was also able to sleep. <laughs> I, mind you, I had only been going, getting like one to two hours of sleep. Um, I had nothing to do but to like, I brought my pump to the hospital with me so, so I can maintain that milk supply. So I, you know, they're like impressed because my milk has suddenly come in. So I'm pumping. I'm, you know, having my husband come pick up the milk. Um, I'm sleeping, having my blood pressure checked. It's kind of cycling between that because um, my blood pressure is getting checked every one to two hours. Um, so I was kind of scheduling my pumping around like my, my blood pressure checked. Very odd. Um, yeah. It, I mean, I felt like they, they I thought the nurses did a great job. Be honest, I was very thankful for them as well. Um, I actually brought a fridge into my room so my milk could be refrigerated, which I was very appreciative of. Um, I actually dropped off like a care package to the nurses after I delivered, just to kind of show them, you know, my appreciation. Um, I don't know if they knew I was a physician. They probably did. I, I, I think telling people that I'm a physician works for or against me. Um, you know, my sister told me if they t tell you some type of advice, ask them whether or not they would change that advice based off of whether or not you were not a uh, physician. When I went in with 32 weeks with elevated blood pressure, they said they would keep me if I wasn't a physician. I should have stayed. I should have said, you know, I think I'll stay. If you say that you, this is how you would do with all your other patients, I'll stay in the hospital. I should have, I should have done that. Um, so it works for or against me when I tell people I'm a doctor. Sometimes I'll just kind of hold back. I'll hold my mouth I'll, and I'll see what the, what kind of care they provide first before I say, hey, I also, I'm also a doctor. Just so that I want to know what, what's the standard of care. I want to see if I'm getting that. And if I'm not, I'll say, hey, I'm a doctor. Just so as, you know, just to make things a little bit better for myself. I don't know. But it's just kind of like the health crisis in America, to be honest with you, where it's just like I'm a black I'm a black female and I have to now tell you I'm a doctor just so I can get adequate care. Right. But you earn them initials. And if you got to use them <laughs> initials to get what you need right. done, right. Right. <laughs> make it happen. 
because listen, I'll tell a client time. You know somebody who's a doctor, tell them that your sister friend, uncle cousin is coming down too. Because if this is going to help us get what we need to get done. (laughs) I mean, but yes, you're right. It does speak to the health crisis in general. um, And how horrible that is that that's, you know, like the standard of care isn't at its best. Um, But yes, use it if needed. I was thinking about where you're at. I'm sorry, about where you're at now in terms of of anxiety. Because after the multiple miscarriages, the anxiety you carried in the earlier stages of your pregnancy, and probably throughout, really, um, in in addition to the hypertension, how are you feeling now with anxiety? Um, You know, I think I'm doing a better job. I think the hypnobirthing, even though I felt like that didn't really help me during my delivery, the techniques actually helped me postpartum um, in terms of bringing my body into a, the most relaxed state that I can. Um, so I have probably, right now, I have more anxiety when I'm at work, when I'm not doing as much things at work, which is very odd. I feel more anxious when I'm sitting idle at work. Um, I... I think the major thing was almost getting back to health helped me with my anxiety. Um, I, I got better about, you know, my blood checking. My, I was always checking my blood pressure multiple times a day, sometimes several times. It was just like, relax, you know. Um, then I had to say, it's going to be okay. If I have to take this medication for a whole year or for the rest of my life, then that's what it is. Like, I can't, I can't let that be a source of stress um, thankfully, I was able to uh, probably like three or four weeks into not taking my blood pressure medication. So it's a very recent thing for me. Um, kind of doing the things that bring me joy, which, you know, running. So it's going back to running and, you know, kind of getting relaxed. My commute is like an hour long to work. So using that opportunity, you know, that's like, safe haven almost in my car, just using the opportunity just to relax a little bit. Um, And just knowing that I'm going to be okay. At the end of the day, I'm going to be okay. I don't really have as much anxiety in terms of my son. I think I've spent a lot of time praying for him while he was, before he came, like when he was, when I was pregnant with him, before he was even, uh, before I was even pregnant with him at that particular time, I spent a lot of time praying that you know, my main prayer for him is he will achieve the, the, the goal that God has for him. That's it. He would, whatever God has in store for him or has planned for him, that he will be able to attain that. That's it. Um, so there may be times where I look over, make sure that he's doing okay, check his breathing, but, <laughs> you know, like his bassinet. But I don't kind of, my main source of anxiety was more, I think I had probably had generalized anxiety, nothing, nothing specific, just like everything, you know? So thankfully I'm not as anxious as I once was. I was anxious over like the minute crap. Oh, I'm being, I'm late for my doctor's appointment. Like palpitating over that. It's just like, okay, you're late. Big deal. You're going to be okay. And so it's a lot of self-talk where it's like, what's the worst that can happen? And then you'll be okay if that happens, you know? Is there anything that you want to share with our listeners, whether it's resources, additional advice, or anything else from your birth? 
you know, I, there's several things I wish I had, like I wished I had a doula, I wish, um, which is weird because as a physician, I was like, you know, no, I should be able to speak up for myself. I don't think I need someone else to advocate for me. Yeah, but it, it just creates so much stress on yourself when you think the woman's role is just to be in the moment and almost kind of be, I think pregnancy is one of those unpredictable things. It's different if it's like you're going in for a surgery versus you, your hormones are raging. There's a lot of things going on that's out of your control. You need this separate person to advocate for you. Um, it could be your partner. But it can also be this person who is experienced um, with labor and delivery. Um, and they've, there's research that shows that doulas are associated with a lower C-section rate. And so, you know, find a provider who is okay with your birth plan, whatever your birth plan is. Um, for me, I didn't really care. I just wanted to have a healthy baby. I wanted to walk out of the hospital with a healthy baby. Um, so get, have a doula, have a provider who's on, on plan with your, on course, on course with your birth plan and be sure to, you know, know what you're at risk for. If you're African-American over the age 35, you're in, you know, you possibly have risk factors for, you know, gestational hypertension, preeclampsia. What can you do or ask your provider, what risk factors do I have? How can I lower my risk for these things? Um, is it aspirin every day? Is that what your doctor is telling you to do? Is your doctor telling you to have a low salt diet? Is your doctor telling you to check your blood pressure in the postpartum period? Then make sure you do that um, and have a community around you that's going to be able to um, help you meet those goals. And advocate for yourself. The main thing, advocate for yourself. If something doesn't feel right, if something doesn't sound right to you, if things are not being explained in a way that you can understand, Ask questions. If that if the answers don't sit well with you, keep asking questions and don't be afraid to go to somewhere else, somewhere, another provider, another practice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 